0: And welcome to the Cinemanthalist podcast for Cinemalist.com. My name's Andy. Sitting next to me is Floki, our bearded dragon mascot. And sitting opposite me is my very good friend and film reviewer, Extraordinaire Liam. How's it going, indeed?
1: I'm fucking splendid, mate. How are you?
0: Absolutely fucking splendid. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. What a great way to start.
0: It's very positive. Yes.
1: Energy. Yes. Yeah. Things, things are good. Things are just like decent, mate. Yeah. So, yeah. You
0: know what's been cheering me up, actually, is uh, according to the weather at the moment, there are supposed to be thunderstorms. And I love a thunderstorm.
1: I mean, well, there was almighty rain last night. So. Yeah, I was really, really hoping. though, didn't hear any crackles, though. Didn't no, really hear I any had the
0: window open and everything I was, like, listening out for. Because I like to, whenever there's, like, thunder and lightning, I like to go and sort of stand out in it. And I like just sort of feeling nature in that.
1: This this thing, I mean, I'd, I like thunder and lightning. and If the rain was complemented by thunder and lightning, I wouldn't have cared at all because it was just rain. It was more like... Oh, for fuck's sake. You know, back
0: to regular old yeah. yeah.
1: Why can't you just do the supplementary thing and make it cool? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: Yeah. That's what I like. I like feeling sort of the air pressure change. You know, yeah, yeah. It it's, not, it's, and it, it's nice to stand outside in it. I find. But makes, like,
0: you feel, makes you feel kind of like insignificant in a nice way. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like all that, that Power fucking- the universe. That cosmic shit, man. <laughs> It does just sound like we've smoked a massive joint before we started. I promise you we haven't. (laughs) I learned very, very early on that it's impossible to talk on microphone when you're stoned. It's,
1: hey buddy, hey what, hey, (laughs) hey, (laughs) end of podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, quite
0: literally. No, disappointingly sober, but working on it. (laughs) Okay, let's kick off, as we always do, with some film news because we are a film podcast. It's not your daily English weather report. Is there some
1: some cool stuff this week? Uh, Yeah, some. (laughs) Some <laughs> Last week
0: it was the sequel And that didn't go down particularly well But uh, yeah Well it is a film that we both are interested in actually And this is an article from Variety um, It's official Dune to world premiere At Venice Film Festival So we actually, we actually have a premiere date for this now uh, Denis Villeneuve's hotly anticipated Dune reboot Dune Dune Will world premiere at the Venice Film Festival in September Apparently um, September the 3rd So there you go There's something to look forward to
1: I ha- and I genuinely have been looking forward to Dune quite a bit, and you know I'm just thinking when the fuck you know <laughs> this film is such a long time coming now because with understandable caveats, it's like it's it's been pushed back what relentlessly yeah, and it's it's one of, there are, it's not the one and only release I've been psyched for, but it's way way up there. Even though I mean we discussed previously, we both discussed the trailer on the podcast, and I watched the trailer and I was left feeling a bit. Nonplussed.
0: The color palette's very grey, which yeah. worries, worries me slightly. The tra-
1: I did, uh, yeah, I came away from the trailer just not really feeling anything, but it is it is Villeneuve, and as far as I'm aware, he is uh he's asserted that his adaptation is going to be as faithful as it can, you know, within the constraints.
0: Although, as we covered previously, is apparently oh, yeah, it's half it, it's, of the book, half of the book, yeah. half the book. So, so that well. so
1: that, that's um this is a lot precipitative of a follow up.
0: Yeah, and there was that whole thing about because the pandemic's happened since, and funding's changed for films and the theatrical releases, and the whole movie industry is in a bit of strife as to how it moves forward next. If they go to a streaming platform, will the sequel actually ever happen? So there was a genuine danger that you will get a Dune movie that might actually be quite good but only half the book, and there's no sequel after it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be, you know, I mean, haven't Dune fans been through enough at this point with however many terrible, terrible adaptations there have been? Well,
1: yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I love David Lynch, but one of of the things I'm most excited to see is is Skarsgård as Baron Harkonnen. Mm. So I want to see, like, Skarsgård doing Harkonnen as he was written by Frank Herbert. That will be something.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's actually worth going through the cast list again here. It's uh, got... Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Sharon Duncan-Brewster, Stephen McKinley-Henderson, Chan Cheng, Charlotte Rampling, and Jason Momoa, of course. Oh, and uh, Javier Bardem.
1: Timothy Chalamet, too, isn't
0: it? Yes, yeah. Sorry, he was in a different bit earlier in the article. Oh, right. (laughs) Yes, Timothy Chalamet, of course, in the lead. So, yeah, I mean, really, really hyped for this one. It's nice to finally get some... Well, I mean, when you say a concrete date, that doesn't really mean anything yeah. anymore, does it? But right. I, mean, I, so.
1: I, I mean, I mean, I adored you, and one of the things, you know, probably on a more uh, goofy, immature level, I just love the fact that you have all these names like Leto Atreides and Vladimir Harkonnen, and you know, uh, you know, Muad'Dib, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then you just have like, the, one of the main enforcers for the Atreides family, Duncan Idaho. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just Duncan Idaho, and I think that's Jason Momoa. And that is a fucking badass character. So. There's a bit of
0: that in Game of Thrones as well, isn't there? Where you just get the feeling that George R.R. R. Martin just gave up on making up funny names.
1: Yeah. You got, it's you Jeff.
0: Tywin, Tyrion, and Jamie. <laughs> yeah. yeah just a, a friend of his, I have no idea.
1: Bathrog, Balsar, and Thomas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, it always struck me
0: as odd, but it, somehow it worked anyway. Yeah. You zone in and out
1: now and again, don't you?
0: <laughs> um, new thriller, Everest is about to come out soon. Well, at the very least, they're announcing cast. Oh, God, is this one
1: of those natural disaster thrillers?
0: I would imagine so. Um, this is Doug Lehman. Um, and he's announced Ewan McGregor, Mark Strong, um, Sam Hewan And it's, yeah, it's going to be an action-adventure thriller. It's apparently going to be chronicling the explorer and mountaineer George Mallory, who's being played by McGregor, and him being picked up by the Royal Geographic Society to restore British pride by scaling the impossible. So I like that there's a historical aspect there, because my first thought was, oh, is it going to be everyone goes mountain climbing and it all goes wrong? But to have that actual tie to history might be interesting.
1: So it's, ba- it's based upon George Mallory's exploits, but mm-hmm. it's an action-adventure thriller.
0: Yes, that's how they're billing it.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: Yeah, um, just reading further in the article here, apparently he's a um, self-proclaimed climbing nut, Lehman. And he plans to start shooting in the UK and Italy next January.
1: This is the guy who did that fucking down film, wasn't it, with uh, Chulay? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, which yeah. was horrendous dog shit. So uh, hopefully this will be an improvement.
0: Yeah, hopefully so. But uh, yeah, I think there's a good cast list there. At the, at the very least, we're both big fans of uh, Ewan McGregor and Mark Strong.
1: Yeah, well, Ma- lo- yeah, love those two absolutely. They've love actually
0: those two. both got a habit in recent years I've noticed of turning up in bad movies and giving good performances.
1: So I really hope this time there's a good movie underneath. I just uh, <laughs> like you, you and McGregor as Renton primarily in the first rain spotting. That performance alone makes me quite forgiving of his more pappy mm. offerings because he's just so fucking outstanding in that. So i you know I, I like you McGregor and yes Mark Strong always got a lot of time for Mark Strong as well. So absolutely could be cool.
0: Uh, Russell Crowe has apparently backed a new coastal Australian film studio in wake of country's production boom. This, I've seen a fair bit of he's hype about He's a fucking this. New Zealander, though. I actually didn't know that. I always thought he was Australian. Is he, is he New Zealander? Swear he's a Kiwi. Oh, fair enough. i going to have to look that up now. But uh, yeah, this is, I've seen a bit of hype about this. There's apparently a really big filmic production revival going on in Australia, and it's being called Aussiewood, which I kind of like. <laughs>
1: Well, the thing is, Australia, actually, I mean, I love um, a a great width and breadth of Australian cinema. Is he he trying to sort of launch um, a return to the the golden age of Aussie cinema because well
0: apparently this is coming because of there's lucrative tax incentives to encourage uh, productions to move to Australia So
1: just to um, yep. just to uh, qualify what I said New Zealander by birth he spent 10 years of his child in Australia and returned there permanently at the age of 21 however he has been denied Australian citizenship on two occasions. That's really So interesting. he's a fucking New Zealander. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I've no, learned no, something but, today. No, but he identifies with odds. and uh that's good though, man, because You know,
0: he's one of those actors I've never actually looked him up. You know, it's certain people you don't IMDb, isn't there? And I just, sort Russ, of just assumed. I mean, if,
1: awesome. if he if he's like I mean, I don't really know the details of it, but if he is sort of advocating a return to uh, the great era of people like, you know, We Are and movies like Waking Flight, for example.
0: I think this is Australia as well making a business decision in the sense that they're putting all these tax incentives in for productions to move over there. I guess, to, to hype up that part of the industry. Uh, last year, there was a 215% increase in inquiries from May to September compared to the same period in 2019. Uh, major projects such as Marvel's Thor, Love and Thunder, George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing, Ron Howard's 13 Lives, and Netflix's sci-fi Escape from Spiderhead have all recently filmed done under. So it does seem to be working. But this new facility, is, I think is going to be pretty amazing. It's going to cost $438 million. And it will be constructed on a sprawling pre-existing Pacific Bay resort Complex it will integrate production, post-production, and accommodation and amenities. So they're building Pinewood, really, the Aussie version of. Cool. Yeah, I think that might lead to some interesting stuff. And I think it's cool as well that you know an actor with um the wealth and profile that Russell Crowe has throwing his name into the ring and his funds into the ring on that one. I think is. Yeah, it's nice to see sort of big artists giving back in that way. I know they're not necessarily going to be making indie productions, but yeah. to keep fueling the industry. Is well, kind I
1: mean, the of... things are, I, I do think—I mean, a, a lot of people find Russell Crowe to be a, a sort of an agent of contention, personality-wise, and sometimes into you know, in terms of his craft, fighting but, around the world. Yeah, I've I've always liked Russell Crowe a lot, not only as an actor but I also. I like, you know, in, in interviews, I find him to, yeah, he's gruff, but I do find him to be quite intelligent and interesting. And it is a fact, as far as I'm concerned, that Australia is a country that has um, a great ton of lamentably overlooked movies that are actually really, really, really good, mm. that – um uh, still, a, a, a vast majority of the cinephilic world either don't really know about or maybe don't tout enough. So, uh, any, I don't know, I just got this hunch that maybe he'd be, you know, trying to be a driving force between doing an interesting resurrection of things the way they used to be. I'd hope so, anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think this might be some interesting things happening. Yeah, right? yeah. So it would be interesting to see those films and uh, what the production is like and, and how that's going. Fingers but, crossed, yeah. Pretty cool, I thought. And my last bit of the news this week. This is something that turned up eight years ago and has been completely under the radar since then. And finally, um, the directors began to talk about it. This is J.J. Abrams. And he said that a movie based on Valve's Portal series of video games is still in the works and that a script is finally being written.
1: Well, as in the cake is a lie? Yeah. Did
0: you play the Portal games? I did, yeah. Yeah, I- I've... Always sort of struggled with how that was going to translate into a narrative. Although I know the narrative is a big part of the port, it was uh, it was much more about the clever gameplay. I thought
1: I um I enjoyed the games, mm. but similarly, um yeah, translating that into cinematic narrative. I mean, unless it's going to be some sort of completely fucking malik-esque fever dream where it's more of a mood piece that's free form and open to interpretation, rather. Worst case scenario, which is probably the most likely one. They're just going to take they're going to take the game and they're going to attach that to the most fucking ham-fisted risible action thriller. Conceit.
0: Well, as we've often said with video game stuff as well, though maybe we said it more on the premium podcast than the free one, but there's often a problem with video game film adaptations and they, they look at the original concepts and they decide, no, we don't need any of that. And so what you end up with is a film that's absolutely nothing like the game like and, Doom yeah and, and like you, end, Doom. you end up pissing off both sides you know you end up pissing off fans of the game and people that don't play the game but wanted a decent movie have just got something that they've thrown together underneath the, the banner of a concept you
1: know I'm always yeah. going to be really happy that I think our, our like, index dry run for this was slaughtering that Doom film
0: that was the first test recording we ever yeah. did yeah it was just both of us flipping on why well, that I mean, Doom movie is so terrible
1: it's not it, it really it's not impossible to make a really cool film uh, based on a video game but a mm. s- a gargantuan amount of people, more often than not, they completely fuck it up.
0: Yeah. And they, they tend to throw away the concept right out of the window. I think J.J. Abrams is probably more intelligent than that. Although there's been a lot of talk recently about why the um, the Star Wars sequels didn't work so well, primarily because they didn't really know how to write them as one. If J.J. Abrams said something along the lines of, yeah, it would have been a good idea if we'd all talked to each other and written them in, in like a sequence so they all worked together. It's like no fucking shit show. <laughs> 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 Writing 101, right? But anyway, yeah, and then the even weirder thing about this is that, yeah, this first came out as a concept being pitched around by J.J. Abrams eight years ago. And um, it was uh, announced by Abrams and Gabe Newell, who is, of course, the head of Valve uh, at the DICE Summit in 2013. And J.J. Abrams said at the time, the plan was as real as anything in Hollywood ever gets, <laughs> which is to say, not very. What? But I just think it's utterly bizarre they've they've had this sort of thing shelved. They must, and that they've finally written a script. What eight years later? This suggests entirely what we were talking about earlier about the the concept may be absolutely flawed in the first place. But I'm really curious to see what the hell's going on with this.
1: Well, there's backlogging, and then there's that. Yeah. So I mean, they were initially toying with this in 2013.
0: Yeah Uh, that's a hell of a long I think if you shelve a project for that long there probably wasn't yeah, it sounds like they just didn't have a good idea to start with. And it sounds like they're trying to find a good idea at the moment. So
1: Lazy, fat, cavalier, J.J. Abrams. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. He has,
0: <laughs> he has sort of blotted his copybook a bit in recent years, hasn't he? But uh, <laughs> We shall see. I, I'm, this, uh,
1: that's going to be one of those ones I end up
0: reviewing on the premium podcast. I can feel yeah. it now. But with that sort of name attached behind it, and obviously Valve's got the rights and they've got a ridiculous amount of money. And this could be a really, really high value, big promoted production. I was just... Really curious as to what the fuck that is. Hey ho. Yeah.
1: I, I don't actually, do you know what, in overall, I don't actually mind J.J. Abrams that much. He does good films. So. I don't like go, I, you know, I don't go hard for him necessarily, but I think, you know, the output I've seen from him, I think he's, he's he is a pretty decent filmmaker. You mm. know, his, his, his stuff, oh, yeah, no doubt. His, his stuff does the job. You know, it's it's satisfying, who
0: knows? He's a very, very visual director as well. And the Portal games were, they had a very distinct visual style. So he might get that right. There might be something going on nicely in the art style. We shall see, we shall see. Cake,
1: lots of cake.
0: Lots of cake, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's gonna to be tons of those little references and things in there as well. It's become one of the biggest memes on the internet. Do it? you know what you're probably gonna see? You're gonna oh, you,
1: see big red buses.
0: Oh, yeah, with uh, the cake as a lie you, you, on the side. No, no, yeah. you,
1: well, probably just like a big picture of cake with absolutely no captions. Mm. And then you'll see all these people look at it and a few of them will go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. And there was a
0: good yeah. amount of humour <laughs> in the game as well. It was quite funny. with the, Was it Glad, GLaDOS or?
1: GLaDOS, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, they did. They, there's years since I played them, but I remember there being a lot of humour in there. So, I mean, there are, I guess there are some, they're looking at it as there are building blocks there and can we write a script around
1: them? The portal games were games that you—they were enjoyable, and they—they—they heightened the experience of being very intoxicated with things at three in the morning and sitting back and going, "Wow, yeah, man." Yeah, it was a you head know. fuck. It was a head fuck. It was—it was—it was a sort of existential cacophony of, uh, you know, just it, it, you know, it, you allowed yourself to be overtaken by those games. So, the notion of a motion picture adaptation for me, in and of itself, is a really jarring and strange one, mm. but. Do I hope J.J. Abrams does something that blows our fucking minds? Of course. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Not, not pessimistic about it. It's all just confused. Yeah, as, as I said, <laughs> I'm just confused as to what the yeah. fuck that's going to be. But I do definitely want to see it. And that's something. Yeah, yeah. Big time, man.
0: Okie dokie then. Well, that concludes the news this week. Liam, as usual, has a couple of film reviews for us. Uh, what are you starting out with, dude?
1: I thought I would start out with the latest film by Antoine Fuqua. Fuqua. I love, always love Antoine Fuqua. Yes, this is uh, Infinite. I believe that you brought this up on a film news not too long ago.
0: It's Marky Mark, isn't it? You
1: love Mark. Wahlberg. I love Marky Mark. The reason yeah, I chose, one of my this, actors, the reason I chose this is because he's one of your favourite actors of all time.
0: Well, um, so the film opens... <laughs> oh, I just felt like dropping my stomach. Yeah, yeah, it,
1: <laughs> the film opens with um, what a, a sort of frenetic high-speed car chase somewhere in the nighttime motorway of America land. Uh-huh. And um Dylan O'Brien, actually, who is the lead of flashback that I talked about on the previous week's episode, uh, he is a man named Heinrich Treadaway, and he is in some sort of high speed red convertible fucking vehicle. You know, I don't know about bloody cars, but uh he is being doing t- well so far. He's in a car somewhere in America Land. Somewhere in America Land, being relentlessly chased by friends and foe, and he is in possession of something very vague and mysterious that people want to get their hands on. And we see him take out the cigarette, the the inbuilt car cigarette lighter and very painfully uh, cauterize himself before he engages in a stunningly ludicrous set piece and he basically makes he makes the car spin in circles off of um, a closing land bridge, and then like lands on a crane, uh-huh. and he's in possession of a weird sword-looking thing, and then Mark Wahlberg wakes up.
0: <laughs> so it's literally doing. It was all a dream.
1: <clears throat> well, this is the thing. All that happens, and then it cuts to Mark Wahlberg, and it cuts to Marky Mark, all buff and bare-chested, looking in the mirror narrating, and his narration begins with something like, yeah, have you ever had a dream so vivid that it felt like it was definitely fucking real, something like, you know, all this palaver, mm-hmm. something that has been, you know, that, that that's a trope that has been well-trodden in lots of stuff. Yep. <laughs> so I think, okay, we're off to a really great start so far. So uh, Mark, Marky Mark plays a guy named Evan McCauley, and we come to learn that Evan – is uh, yeah, He's a loner. He's having some trouble uh, procuring gainful employment for himself because he was diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was in his early teens and he also has a history of violence. He's a very troubled, unhappy man. And one of the things that blights him is he has this preternatural array of talents that he doesn't understand. He is adept at martial arts and hand-to-hand combat and sword fighting in general um he has a very 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 good lexicon um he is extremely knowledgeable about global geography he is very he's very erudite with history he's a very very intelligent man as well as being adept with physical fighting arts and um, how to, you know how, the, you know, how to identify the exact model of a firearm and to utilise it. So, sorry,
0: can I just for a <clears throat> very brief second pause you? So far
1: I've got the, he's living in a dream world and he knows Kung Fu. No, he's not living in a dream world. Right. No, he's not living in a dream world. So
0: that Matrix comparison that I was starting to make in my head, is that entirely
1: off-base? It's not entirely off-base, but, 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 yeah, but we're not dealing with a, um, a manufactured reality. that's 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 where okay okay.
0: no sorry jumping ahead a little bit you you carry on no but um
1: so basically evan is in a bad place and um one night he goes to the den of this drug peddler that uh, i think they this drug peddler sells routinely sells evan moody black market medication to help mitigate his schizophrenia and um it all violently kicks off there And then uh, Evan gets arrested, and when he's at the police station, a very strange, bald man, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, walks in and goes, You don't recognise me? I think I should take offence. And he opens up a briefcase, and he starts laying out all of this uh, strange, archaic-looking weaponry in front of Evan. And uh, Evan's like, Okay, who the fuck are you? What the hell is this? What are you doing? No, I don't know you. And um, he explains to Evan that um, among this weaponry and other artifacts, like little things in a in a bag and talismans, he, he says to Evan of any of these things, yours. And uh, Evan starts to display a bit more incredulity, and eventually this man, played by Chaweta Ledger, begins to lose his patience, and uh, he takes out a pistol and he points it at Evan's face and says, "Every time you say." I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to pull the trigger. And, you know, you don't know whether this gun is loaded or not. Some ball, it's not, it's not Russian. I don't really know how that works. This is one of these films, many plot holes, because I could understand that working with a revolver in terms Mm. of Russian roulette.
0: If it's a semi-automatic or an automatic, if it's loaded, it's going to go off.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I just don't get it. Okay. But, um, So he he starts pointing the gun at Evan's head and clicking it and Marky Mark is like, what the fuck? What are you crazy? You know? (laughs) And um, then the walls of the police station come crashing down and there's a massive vehicle being driven by Nora played by Sophie Cookson who tells Evan to come with her and drives him off. And Chowetee Legia 4's character who uh, we come to know, that his name is Bathurst and uh, he is in hot pursuit and in the motor, Nora tells Evan that he has gone his whole life without knowing that he is what is referred to as an infinite. He is somebody who essentially is in a state of quasi immortality because all of these weird talents and this incredible aptitude for things and this quote unquote schizophrenia and visions that he has been blighted by all his life. What they actually are, are recalls of past lives. And so the infinites are a secret society of people who are aware that they have lived a multitude of lives in the past and have reincarnated. And they all congregate somewhere in order to actualize and fully harness their memories so that they can do a better job combating the nihilists. Now, the nihilists are led by the aforementioned Bathurst, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. And the Nihilists, they are infinites who have become absolutely sick and tired of repeating life over and over and over again. And they want to destroy the entire universe to make it stop. So Marky Mark, Evan, he is informed that he is in fact the reincarnation of Heinrich Treadaway, the gentleman who was being chased at the beginning of the film, and they need his talents to help stop Bathurst and the nasty nihilists from incinerating the entire world with this sort of glowing egg thing.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh, sorry, we run to the glowing egg thing. Yeah, okay, uh, sure. Do do you basically follow me? Yes, no, I follow you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now. And that sounds
1: pretty batshit. For the first half an hour, 45 minutes at a push. This film actually had me intrigued because, listen, I know you don't like Marky Mark. There's something that I've always appreciated about him. I know we diverge there, but it, this was ambling along at quite an interesting pace. You know, you had the uh, the shadowy and, and like, you know, suitably opaque villain played by Four coming in, adding a sort of uh, weird, creepy, dastardry to proceedings. There's a lot of good scenes that are pretty well shot with uh, Marky Mark experiencing hallucinations that he interprets and uh, as he has in his entire life as being inflicted by schizophrenia. but as we come to know, there's there's actually it's not it's not a psychopathology at all. it's because he is one of these reincarnated immortal motherfuckers. Visually, that was very interesting. It was ambling along at quite a cool pace, and I was, I, you know, I was invested in how it, in, in the trajectory. But um, at the midway point, it starts to really drag. There's a lot of forced humour in there that doesn't carry off at all. It's not, it's not really, Marky Mark isn't really the perpetrator in that specific context. There's um, a bunch of other people who just say and do stupid things that is purported. By the filmmakers to be funny but it's definitely not in the slightest bit funny and um it just becomes riddled with larger and more gaping plot holes until it turns into an absolute clusterfuck of intent and writing and everything really so um
0: so even with that batch so itself i'll be fair to it i mean i made that matrix comparison early on and probably too early because that just seemed to be where it was going but To be fair to your explanation of it, it does sound like an intriguing premise. Or at the very least, not a bad premise for an entertaining actor. The
1: premise premise is very interesting, and the film itself is also interesting for about 40-odd minutes. This just did this horrible switcheroo. It's like, you know, the the unintentional bait and switch, where it's like, oh, it's like, well, we're presenting you with this film that actually seems kind of cool for the first half an hour or so, but then it's going to turn into a pile of shit. <laughs> because it's not, it's not funny. They try and make it funny. It's not funny. Once the villains are given uh, a healthy amount of exposition, they become very boring and uh, total inconsistency in terms of how the history of the infinites and, you know, how they form a community, you know, a working community... On top of a, you know, a humanistic community, a, a super organism where they're all looking out for each other. It's just absolutely, it, it just gets worse and worse and worse in terms of the amount of times I went, well, hang on. They explained this in this manner about 20 minutes ago, but if this is the case, this doesn't make any this 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 completely violates the three rules of logic, and then some. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Then it just gets more and more chaotic until an extraordinarily cheesy denouement. That you with the most ridiculous film. I was thinking about this earlier. With the most lu- ludicrous films, the films that are not your average art house uh, reverie, and what well, you know, you're not in you're not essentially invited to deliberate on things in a in a highly intellectual manner, but you still. In, in Big Trouble in Little China, it's a fucking silly film, but you still give a fuck about Jack Burton. You still give two shits about whether these people are going to reach their objective. This is a film where by by the, the final half an hour, I had completely stopped giving one iota of a slithery shit about any of the characters involved in this. And by the time the final credits started rolling, I just went, oh, fuck you, bullshit. You know, you took a captivating idea and you were, r- you were rambling along with it quite nicely um, for a very short period of time. And then you just took a great big Cleveland steamer all over it and you just pissed me off. So, like, just don't watch Infinite because it's bollocks. And um, next up, we've got Untitled Horror Movie. So uh, this was actually released on VOD on uh, the 15th, so not very long ago now. This is uh, one of those millennial comedy horrors. So we've got a a crew of six actors within the film. They're late 20s, early 30s, and they're all part of a television show that is on the brink of um, cancellation. And they're all like, oh, fuck, shit, what do we do? Blah, 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 blah. And um, one of them, Kip, played by Timothy Granaderos, uh, they're all griping with each other over Zoom or Skype or whatever the hell it is one day. And he says to them, Well, if they're cancelling the show, I've been doing my own kind of spec horror script. And I was wondering if you lot would be interested in individually shooting scenes for it. And we can see where it takes us. There's a little bit of trepidation, but they eventually agree to it. So along with Kip, you've got uh, his girlfriend, Kelly, played by Care Holt, who is quite a, a pampered, you know, very Dunning-Kruger type of person, thinks that she's an extraordinary actress, for a quite rude and insulting and nasty. You've got Max, played by um, Darren Barrett, who is a sort of, a, he's the comedy guy of the group, essentially. He's in a perpetual manic episode, and he's always freaking out. Declan, Luke Barnes, one of our own Luke Barnes, who is a very pinch-faced GQ model, I'm better than everyone else. Narcissistic fu- These are basically these people are all fucking annoying narcissistic pieces of shit. And they start to film scenes for this horror film that Kip has written. And Kip gets hold of a pendant and he logs into Reddit and he reads a banishment incantation that he informs the his friends that he sent to his previous manager because his manager disowned him and said he didn't want to represent him anymore because he was no good, etc., etc. And over the course of shooting this film, they discover that this Reddit banishment incantation has actually invited a malevolent spirit to plague the six of them whilst they're trying to shoot this film. So it's a meta found footage horror comedy extravaganza, except it's just not funny. (laughs) It's not funny. And uh, there's probably about one jump scare that I found effective. This is part, this film, what this film does is it joins, it jumps on the bandwagon of a phenomenally large slew of comedies that are just infected by this, it's it's like this contemporaneous narcissism where it's all repetitively and fumblingly self-referencing and like, You know, don't don't do that, don't do that. We told you not to do that, don't do that. It's that ad nauseum again and again. I mean, this film is only an hour and a half long and there is an absolute, it's chock-a-block with that sort of crap in a way that's unconvincingly acted, peppered with very, very trite, amateurish moments of suspense with this malevolent spirit that is not in the least bit scary, I don't know if they were working with an incredibly meagre budget and they were trying to, you know, do the best they could, or whether they went intentionally minimalistic. But either way, was very, very flat-footed. And this this demon in particular, I won't give away too many spoilers in case anyone out there is interested in seeing it. God knows why you would be to speak frankly, but um, it just doesn't land. It doesn't land in any way, shape, or form. And um, if you actually want a, a good example or at least a moderately decent example of this kind of uh, format done quite well. Go and watch something like Unfriended Dark Web, which is all shot entirely from the the viewpoint of people on Skype. It's one of those laptop thrillers, I think they're being called. That is semi-ridiculous, but at least has momentum and it has good acting and it does provide some good moments of chilling disturbance. Untitled horror movie. It attempts to be funny. It fails. It attempts to be scary and get under your skin, and it fails. And it ends in a final gag that is just completely derivative and risible. And it was just complete. So we've got two films that are a monumental waste of time this week. I'm really sorry about this.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty downbeat. But then, you know, if the films aren't good. They aren't good.
1: I, I apologize for, you know, being an aggressive Debbie Downer. But I just both of these films are fucking horrible <laughs> so sorry dude sorry one peeps of, one know, of those it, weeks yeah yeah it really is one of those weeks it's like jesus christ is then i was sitting there after i watched untarled horror movie i was sitting there thinking so what not even a break I, I haven't even caught a break on one of them yeah There's not even one of them that's there are two a, for yeah, something there's two chances yeah there's not one of them that's a bit good they're both dog shit okay fair enough you know it's like you know you throw the dice it comes up like that now yeah then,
0: yeah, so. yeah for sure
1: but, um, you know, yes. Yeah, so please don't watch those. But you still gave one recommendation in there. What was the, the laptop through there? Oh, um, Unfriended Dark Web. I, oh. think it, when did it, I think it came out in 2018. Mm. And it was actually, it was a mutual friend of ours that showed it to me. And I actually went into that with something of a sceptical hat on. And there are moments of ludicrousness but they make me laugh, so even though that's not necessarily what the filmmakers intended, that there there is enjoyment in that. But on the dark web, it's actually it's very very well acted, especially by the lead guy. He's partic- he particularly gives a good performance that imbues the film with some real harrowing uh, nerve jangling. And there is there are some choice scenes in it that are genuinely quite they're vicious and disturbing. And so yes, it, I haven't actually seen the first instalment of Unfriended. I must admit, but Dark Web it is a good night in. It's competently made, and it and it does its job. And I do I do enjoy it. I do think that it's a film worth watching, and it's a million times better than this piece of shit. <laughs> so you know, yeah, go, go, honestly, go, yeah, Unfriended Dark Web, go and watch that. It's it's not going to blow your socks off, and there might be a few moments that make you roll their eyes. Personally, they make me laugh, but. In its totality, <clears throat> Dark Web is actually, it's pretty good. And uh, I, I, just, I just thought about that. The entirety of Untitled Horror Movie, all I could think about was Unfriended Dark Web. The minute the credits rolled on this piece of shit, I just stuck that on. Hmm. And then after that finished, I thought, yeah, see, that's how you do it properly. <laughs> so, there you go. We took
0: two negatives and turned them into a positive. <laughs>
1: there you go. So, not all bad, eh? <laughs>
0: Okay, then that brings me on to TV of the week. And first thing I want to talk about this week is a Britbox original. Britbox? Yeah, so you're aware of Britbox? I do know uh, Britbox, yeah. It's the UK streaming service that, as best as I can tell, currently has a load of UK TV gold reruns on it. All that being said, uh, like any good streaming service, they have decided to start making their own original content. And I believe this is their first attempt. And it's called The Beast Must Die. Ooh,
1: now there was a. I know know, know the Claude Chabrol film from the 70s.
0: Yes, it's based on a novel of an author I actually did have in front of me and don't have anymore because I've got my different set of notes up, but it is based on a novel. And yeah, let's get into the setup on this. So, this is Britbox's first go at the streaming original content game. This opens with Kush Jumbo playing Francis, and she's looking directly into the camera with a load of water running down her face. And she's staring dead at you. And she says, I am going to kill a man. I don't know his name. I don't know where he lives. I have no idea what he looks like, but I'm going to find him and kill him. And the soundtrack goes all dun, dun, dun in the background in that very sort of 1950s Cape Fear kind of way. You know, that sort of overblown orchestral, you know, stab of da dun that you used to get in like 50s movies. Yeah, there's one of those going on in the background.
1: He doesn't literally do the don't don't
0: don't. Not quite that, but something something really close to it. Anyway, so okay, this is this is interesting right from the get go, and we then cut to Nigel Strangeways, played by Billy Howell. and he's in a psychiatrist's office uh, on the Isle of Wight. Most of this is set on the Isle of Wight, Riveting. and he's talking about. Um, he's got he's a police officer and he's got PTSD. And he's talking to his therapist about flashbacks that he's been having recently. And the uh, cause of his PTSD is gradually revealed over the plot of the show. But at this point, you just know he's a police officer. He's been off the force for some time. And he's been posted um, much to his annoyance on the Isle of Wight, where not a lot happens, but this is his new posting. And we then cut to him going into the office on his first day. And he walks in. He's kind of unimpressed. It's a small podunk kind of, you know, the Isle of Wight for those unaware is a, A relatively small island off the coast of England and not a lot goes on there and he's a bit annoyed that he's been put into this position. But he sits down at his desk, starts going through the case files and everything that he's got to do that day. And the first case file on his desk is about a boy that was knocked down in the road. And he's got to read through this in 10 minutes because the mother of this boy is coming in to discuss the case. The mother, if you haven't figured it out already, is Frances, played by Kush Jumbo. This is the
1: same story as the 1974 French film. Sure. Yeah, yeah, is, pretty uh, much. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, not
0: that I remember the French film particularly well. It's good. I have seen it's good. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, she comes into the office and says, uh, listen, uh, yo, this happened on Easter weekend, which is now three months ago. Um, your predecessor didn't handle the case properly as far as I'm concerned. You seem to have absolutely dropped the ball. There's been no proper investigation done. What are you going to do about it? And Nigel is very apologetic. He says, look, I'll level with you. It's my first day. This is the first case. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to look through it. But just looking through the file, it looks like we did seem to do everything right. And Francis is obviously very upset with this. So what she does is she goes to her local bank and it's revealed that she has in her savings account a large amount of money from a life insurance policy that was taken out on her husband, who is now deceased. And so she moves that money from her savings account into her current account. She cuts her hair very short and she goes back to the scene of the accident in order to investigate the crime herself, seeing as as far as she's concerned, the police have done nothing. So she starts investigating around the area and she starts asking the locals what was going on over the Easter weekend. And there was a motor racing event in town. And she poses as a road safety officer. She was a teacher previously. And what she does, she takes her teacher's ID, the lanyard she wears around her neck. She flips around the other way, turns up, knocks on people's doors and said, I'm with the road safety authority. Can I talk about an incident that happened here on Easter weekend? Eventually, she comes across this local who reveals that On the day, he saw a woman who he believed to be very drunk and in a slight state of undress, wearing like a checkered flag kind of dress. And she was having a huge argument with her boyfriend, what he perceived to be her boyfriend, as they were stumbling down the road. Francis isn't particularly interested in any of this until he says that, yeah, she kept, I think he'd been in a fight or something because she kept saying something about that he'd hit somebody. And suddenly she puts two and two together in her head. So she goes off, she does a bit of research, and she finds people that were at the motor racing event on the Isle of Wight that day. And she finds this photo of a trio of models wearing checkered flag dresses. And she takes it back and she shows this photo to this guy. And he goes, yeah, that's her. That's definitely the, the, the one that was here yelling at her boyfriend about something about that he'd hit somebody. So she tracks this woman down. Uh, this is Lena, played by Mia Tomlinson. And she's working as a model, corporate events, that sort of thing. Uh, Francis tries to befriend her, but Lena's quite standoffish. So what Francis does is she deliberately pours a drink down the front of her dress. And when Lena goes to change in the bathroom, Francis corners her and feeds her a lie. She says, I'm an author and I'm writing a murder mystery novel. And in my novel, a model just like yourself, working corporate events, uh, ends up murdering somebody. Could I follow you around? Could I even start driving you to some of your gigs? And, and sort of tail you for the day in order to get more research from my book. And Lena reluctantly agrees because it will save her train fare, etc. Getting from job to job. So they begin to strike up an unlikely friendship. One night, Francis takes Lena to get drunk. And when she brings her back home, as they stagger up the stairs, she puts her into bed and she takes her phone out of her bag. And she's noticed while she's been hanging out with Lena that her phone has been ringing constantly. and She's been ignoring the calls. So she looks through the contacts that have called her recently on her phone and finds there's a mysterious man named George that keeps trying to call her. Anyway, next day, Lena wakes up. She's very annoyed that Francis got her so drunk because she's late for a modeling gig that day. They have a big argument. But Francis eventually manages to calm her down and says, "Um, you kept talking about George last night. Who's George? And it's revealed that George is not her boyfriend. George is her brother-in-law. And funnily enough, Lena has to go very soon to her sister's birthday and her brother-in-law will be there and she's been dreading it. So Francis says, no problem. I'll drive you there. I'll stick around for a bit. I'll be your moral support on this difficult day. If you don't get on with your family and your sister and your brother-in-law on that, I'll be there. So they turn up to this huge country mansion on the Isle of Wight. She 's introduced to the family. there's um, George's sister who's quite elderly They've got a huge amount of money, huge number of fancy cars parked out on the drive. She's introduced to George's wife, who's very nice and friendly towards her, and suddenly George pulls up and he's played by Jared Harris. oh. Okay, mm. yeah, that's now, always
1: a good sign. This has definitely <laughs> been the
0: big sell for this show. Yeah, this Jared yeah. Harris um, features prominently in the show and especially prominently in the advertising. Yeah. Clever can he move, that one, to get people to watch their first streaming thing because everybody likes Jared Harris. for yeah, reasons yeah. that we'll go into in a minute. But anyway, he screams up in a bright green Aston Martin and he's got his young son with him who's um, being sick in the car because he drives too fast and he's immediately revealed to be an arrogant, toff, Bastard narcissist. Asshole man. Yeah, this this immediately exudes from Jared Harris's character. He's very, very obviously a completely egotistical asshole. And of course, she's now putting everything together. This is very likely the person who killed her son. So she begins to ingratiate herself within the family, to hang around, to become close to them, to become trusted by them, so that she may eventually wreak her revenge. Ooh. Mm.
1: Well, I mean...
0: As the soundtrack would go at this point. Dun, dun, dun.
1: Well, I mean, I love that movie. So, uh, you know, I wasn't actually... I'd heard of this title. I wasn't actually aware that it was directly based upon the same story. Mm. But that, in conjunction with Jared Harris' involvement, I mean I hope you're going to say it's decent. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, uh,
0: let's let's start out with the performances then. Like I said, putting Jared Harris as the lead antagonist was a very very smart move mm-hmm. on this production's part indeed because He's so wonderful. He's been hyped so much at the moment. He's so fantastic in The Terror. He's brilliant in Chernobyl. He's great in The Crown. I mean, you can just... He's
1: great as uh, Moriarty in the sequel, in the Sherlock Holmes sequel.
0: Yeah, you can reel off his acting credits. He's He's really
1: good. I have yet to
0: see a character this man can't play. Yeah, to see him play, he often plays quite likable people, though he makes a good villain at the same time. To play this arrogant, pompous asshole with the vigour that he does is very, very good indeed. However, the stand-up performance actually does have to go to Kush Jumbo, who is an actress that I was previously unaware of and does a massively, fantastically, I was going to say fantastically competent then. That sounds like it's damning with faint praise. She's really, really good at showing this malevolent anger and revenge and desire to murder this guy held just beneath the surface, which I think is quite a difficult role to play. The show likes to play with um, little imagined sequences where suddenly she murders George And then there's a cut and actually, oh no, it was all in her head. And those moments where you get that flash of anger and darkness in her eyes as she performs the deed that didn't turn out to be the actual deed are really, really well acted. I mean, it's a stunning performance. It's a breakout role for her, I think. Everyone's going to be talking about her because of this. I mean, this show is getting quite a lot of hype at the moment.
1: And for some good reason- Is this her first prominent role? just out of interest because I, I haven't heard of her I'm, I'm afraid to
0: say yeah i would say it's, it's her first really big promo. Well, she's turned up in a fair few tv projects and things and according to some of the reviews and things i was reading earlier has been very good i'm neglectful in the fact that i haven't seen her in anything before this mm. but i can absolutely see why she's getting such rave reviews because she sells the character mm. beautifully well there's great performances all around actually um it's a moody piece if i was to categorize the show in one word it would be moody It's dark. It's got that over-the-top, like I said, Cape Fear kind of soundtrack thing going on, stabs of it in moments, which works kind of nicely. And initially it's a bit jarring, but you sort of get the angle that it's there for dramatic effect in the same way it was in those 1940s, 1950s films. And that gimmick still does kind of work. The writing's pretty sharp and the dialogue's quite good as well, though I do wonder how much of that is being sold by the actors and because the performances are so good. Because one of the problems with this is although it is moody and dark and grim, um, it is a little slow. There's only five episodes of this. Uh, The fifth episode is actually out tonight. So I, I will freely hold my hands up and say I haven't seen the conclusion, but I have seen the other four at this point. And I would say it's one of those ones where Not a lot happens in a couple of the episodes and they rely on that old bait and switch where something dramatic or something foreboding and foreshadowing will happen right at the end of the episode, which is now such a cliche and a trope that I don't think it works as well as it used to because we're in the era of binge watching, et cetera. That is just such a blatant mechanic to make you keep going, to keep watching. I mean, it's slow burn this. I like slow burn. I actively go for slow burn stuff. Even I would say, even for a slow burn, atmosphere show. At points, this is a little bit too slow. It does have to be said. I think your enjoyment of this show is predicated on how much stock and how much enjoyment you get out of watching great actors do a great job. Because really, that's most of what's here. Now, it's obviously building itself up. Like I said, I haven't seen the final episode. It's obviously building itself up to a big twisty reveal conclusion. We've also got Nigel Strangeways. Actually, for the four episodes that have been out so far, there's been bits revealed of his character and he's gradually, he's sort of working behind Francis and gradually, because he's a good cop and he, he wants to right this wrong and he starts to figure out that maybe she's, what's she doing so close to the family? And maybe she's going after somebody or maybe she's trying to bring them in and this is all illegal. And he's he's sort of two steps behind the rest of the plot but they haven't really sped him up enough in a way that really makes him central to the piece yet, which I imagine we're going to get big reveals in episode five. But the fact that it's five episodes long, I've watched four episodes and I'm saying it's too slow, suggests um, that it is. You know, it's going to have to do some really, really amazing twists and turns right at the end in order to make it something people are raving about. However, before I first go at original content, it's got a real nice, smooth quality to it that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a small streaming service trying to make itself bigger. Do you know what I mean? I think Netflix's earliest efforts and Amazon Prime's earlier efforts, a lot of them were a lot ropier than this. Yeah. So there's a lot going for it. I like the way <clears> they cast it. I like the way it's shot. It's shot very nicely. It's quite grey because it's Isle of Wight. You know, <laughs> this is sort of, for anybody that's been, Isle of Wight, unless it's Cow's Week, it is quite grey. And so you've, that all sort of Ties into the ambient nature of the piece, I and mean, there's bits of it that are virtually black and white because that's just what the English weather's like. So I'm, you know,
1: <clears throat> I don't, I don't, mean, I, try, I I know I'm sounding like a, some sort of like massive narcissist, but I'm just happy that the original movie is one I read about first in Halliwell's when I was like 18 years old. Mm. And I sought it out and I really, really loved it. And like the fact that they've actually made a series out of it is just, um, I don't know, it's kind of. Yeah, I I quite, I'm I just. I, it makes me feel all rosy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I, I think yeah. you would
0: get a kick out of it. I think quite a lot of our audience would get a kick out of it. I think there's an, a good 40% maybe out there that are looking, they're maybe more casual viewers rather than we like to go into all the nitty gritty and everything. If you're more of a casual viewer, I think you might find it too slow. No. Uh, and I totally get that as well. I, I, I totally feel that as a facet of the piece. But the performances are so great and the level of quality and competence is there in such large gobs, that it actually does make it very watchable. What I'm hoping for is for the fifth episode to be an absolute turnaround and to, there's still a lot left unanswered in characters' backstories and things like that. Obviously they're saving that all for the last episode. I'm hoping that's gonna be the thing that really makes it, oh man, you absolutely need to see this. It's slow for four episodes, but on the fifth episode it goes bananas and that's fantastic. Am I gonna get it? I'd say 50-50 odds. But overall, so far, having seen four-fifths of the thing, it's actually very well put together, and I think that's worthy of commendation. I think Kush Jumbo is somebody to look out for, and I think um Jared Harris once again proves that there is no no role he cannot play well
1: well i mean i even though you haven't said it's necessarily outstanding, even though you've cited a lot of really positive things about it I just I don't know i I've, I've just got this aching um need to see how how it compares you know like as you know an extended series. You know, I just want to see how how they handle that. That's in in, in contrast, you know, because I think that the the seventies motion picture, just I mean, the wrapping that tail and that kind of um emotional gravity up in feature length is a feat in and of itself. So just to see how they extend it over five episodes, you say. Mm-hmm. I'm just very, very interested in that. So. I
0: looked up the Rotten Tomatoes reviews earlier and the top critic review says something like, um, It's quite good, dot, 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 I think. (laughs) And you know what, actually, I go with that. I go with that. There's nothing here that's really making me rant and rave about how brilliant it is. However, there's so much competence there. It's it's so nicely done. It's so solidly and robustly put together that I do think I'm enjoying it. I just kind of wish it had a bit more pace, a bit more, I don't know. It's just, it's missing a little something. And I'm hoping that last episode is going to give it that. But at the same time, there are a lot worse ways to spend your time. And it's, you know, even if the pacing is a little bit slow, those performances do pull you through it. So great job to, to the cast yeah. so and give them full commendation.
1: Some Sometimes I'll just be obsessed with things because they're a, a, an evocation of a previous thing I liked or just because the concept in and of itself I find fascinating. I think there was a gentleman we knew at one point who said uh, – I I actually love a lot of things that most people deem quite boring, mm. and uh, that's actually a sentiment I share with him. So even if even if it is the even if this is very very slow burn, I don't know. I just you know I, I hope that I would get mixed up in it if mm. you like. You
0: it's know, worth it's, it's worth it for those performances.
1: Definitely. Yeah, definitely. yeah. I'll, I should check it out. I should definitely check it out.
0: Uh, I've got time here for a um a quick little docuseries series as well. Oh sweet, yeah. Uh, this is called Killer Ratings.
1: Killer ratings.
0: Yeah, it's on Netflix. Uh, it was released in 2019. And it's weird, actually, because I completely missed this until I was scratching around for a docuseries to watch the other week. And I was like, hang on a minute. This has been up since 2019. I'm always on Netflix looking for new docuseries. I don't know how this one passed me by. Um, but yes, this is based in Brazil, in Manau. And it's primarily about the life and times of the Brazilian television presenter and politician, Wallace Souza. Now, Wallace started out being sort of an investigative journalist, uh, doing little pieces to camera where he'd turn up at murder scenes and basically deliver understandable, relatable TV news reports about murders that were going on in the city, um, the state of crime in the area, how things were getting worse. And he started to become a bit of a folk legend and a bit of a cult hero amongst the population of this city. So he was eventually given his own show called uh, Canal Livre, And it became the most watched TV show in Brazil for years. And it was sort of like a Jerry Springer kind of format. He had an audience there. He'd do pieces to camera about, isn't it terrible, this moral decline that we're going through? Aren't these gangsters horrible? There's been another murder this week. There's been an arson. This guy was found set on fire in the jungle. All these horrible events. And he'd give these sort of um, moralistic pieces to camera about how this city needs somebody that can really fight for them and somebody that can Step in and and sort out law and order and make our people, our citizens, safer. And he's just got this huge warmth and goodwill towards him, so much so that he became an elected official of this area. Until a police informant revealed that, as far as he was concerned, and that it was a known thing within the Brazilian mafia community, Wallace Souza, far from being just an investigative journalist and TV presenter, is in fact a mob boss. Who has orchestrated most of the crimes that appear on his show?
1: <laughs> Sorry, that's it. Yeah,
0: I know, right?
1: What the fuck? Top of your head
0: goes, <laughs> what's this called again? Sorry? This is called Killer Ratings. Jesus And Christ, so this that do- is something. This docu-series attempts to analyze. Uh, it's got interviews with Suzu himself, people around him, police informants, people that say he was this way, people around him that say no, he couldn't possibly be. And all of the moral quandary that that throws up for people. Holy He's now shit. He now exists in some weird space of being half disgraced and half accredited. It seems to have split people down the middle as to whether this was actually this way. So, I mean, yeah, what a great concept. Um... One of the things I really like about this is it doesn't lean too hard on the sensationalist angle because, like you said, with your bursts of laughter there, I burst out laughing when I figured what, that, I, what that, this was about at the that, same time. That
1: conceit is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's ab- absolutely
0: insane, isn't it? But what I really like is this documentary never loses the balance of, although that's kind of funny in the way that it's so utterly bizarre. How could that possibly be true? It never loses sight of the fact. That these crimes, whether they were committed on Sousa's orders or not, are still absolutely horrific and terrible. And the yeah, damage they yeah, caused yeah. To the families. What I would say is that it's very gory as well, in the way that if you've seen like news reports or anything from, Latin America or South America or any of that, you'll know that they have no problem whatsoever with showing um, dead bodies without any blurring or pixelation, that kind of thing. This documentary is very, very much the same. So you're going to get, if if you don't like seeing real dead bodies and a bit of gore and things like that, or you can't tolerate that, and this isn't the show for you, if you can tolerate that, then I think you'll find a lot within it. I like how it treads its balance. I like how it's got a mad concept, but it doesn't lean too far into the entertainment angle. It keeps weighing itself down with the fact that, that no matter how these events occurred, they were horrible. It does a will they won't they kind of thing that I find was actually a nicely balanced way of doing a docu series like this. It could have leaned into it in the same way Tiger King lent into um, the concept of animal cruelty, which is essentially yeah, yeah. pushing it to one side because that's no fun and the story's fun. Whereas actually, it's a much more nuanced affair than that. Really, really interesting, compelling docuseries about a dangerous part of the world and a a part of the world where occasionally you get some really crazy, madcap stories, of which this is definitely one. I know this. So sh- if you if you missed it, like I did, then please, please give it a look. Cause it's know, definitely got some really. I know this narrative. is
1: absolutely facetious, but I've just got this picture in my head of like Ross Kemp on gangs and Ross Kemp going like, "Yeah, it was me. I was doing all." of this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, right. I was, be... All of these people, they, I, I was making all the crime happen. That would was... <laughs> kind of be the
0: equivalent. And this show was utterly insane as well. He had puppets come on and and a, sh- a, a chef that was there every week making food for the audience. It was this weird carnival cavalcade atmosphere going on that just, in light of the allegations as well, just makes that look horrendous. And there's bits of this that just make your eyes bulge and go, really? No? But I love that, that it's something else. I man. love that it doesn't focus on that. I love that it actually gets to the heart of the stories as well, and it does its best to form a nuanced opinion of the thing. And so, it's a well balanced piece of work. I think a lot of people would have missed it like I did, and I can highly, highly recommend it. It's a cool piece. of well, That's something
1: that. I will one hundred percent be checking out. Yeah,
0: give it a go. I, th- I think it needs more of a more of an audience, and I'm happy Sounds to like write off. Sounds like it, man, Yeah. Okey dokey. Then, well, to finish off, I have <sighs> Marky
1: Mark trivia. But you don't like the man, so why did you do that?
0: Well, because I couldn't, I, I couldn't really do any trivia about the the, the uh, kill the beast or whatever it was. So I mean, Mark, Marky Mark trivia is is, is is where we ended up. Are you um, going to
1: bring up all of the bad shit he's done? Some of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah why am I not surprised? <laughs> no, nah, that's it, fair enough.
0: To be this. honest, it didn't take much work actually to that's, find that's... to find so I've, I've tried to balance it out a bit as well because I realise a lot of people do like Mark Wahlberg. So uh, let's have some Mark Wahlberg trivia, shall we? Yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) A 16-year-old Wahlberg assaulted Hoa Johnny Trinh so violently that he faced attempted murder charges. Wahlberg also thought that he permanently blinded the man in one eye, but that injury was sustained during the Korean War. He pled guilty and was sentenced to prison for two years, of which he served 45 days, but would forever have felony charges on his record. Recently, Wahlberg has come out seeking a full pardon, stating he's turned his life around and has become a good influence. Even the victim, Johnny Trin, is in support of the pardon. My hope is that if I receive a pardon, troubled youths will see this as an inspiration and motivation that they too can turn their lives around.
1: I remember reading about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't know. I'm not going to sort of.
0: <laughs> I thought I'd just sort of leave that trivia where it is and let the audience make up their own minds yeah. as, to, as to what they think.
1: Yeah, Mark, Mark Wahlberg uh, is or was a violent selfie. Hmm. And uh, that's not really good. <laughs> yeah, we'll just just to understate it a little bit Yeah, We'll land
0: on that Meryl yeah. yeah. So we, yeah <laughs> okay,
1: okay.
0: How about this one Turns out roughly 1 in 18 men Has a third nipple And Mark Wahlberg is among them In a few movies they opted to digitally airbrush it out But in Shooter you can see it clear as day For years he kept mum about it But eventually opened up about his extra nipple That is correct He told Australia's Nova FM when asked if it were true Right below the other one it's actually the size of an infant's nipple. It didn't grow. He has no plans of losing it either. I've come to embrace it, he told Rolling Stone. That thing is my prized possession.
1: So Mark Wahlberg is basically the South Boston Scaramaggia. He
0: beats he people have. up and he's got three nipples. They, <laughs> they, they, they say people don't learn anything from the Sentimentalist podcast.
1: Eat they. your heart out, Christopher Lee.
0: Yeah. In a continued effort to right the wrongs he made as a kid, Mark Wahlberg got his high school diploma in June of 2013. Having dropped out when he was just 14, it took him until 41 to hit the books. He credits his kids with the inspiration to finally do it. I didn't want the kids saying, you didn't do it, so why do I need it? They're all wanting to do things in their future that require an education. He may even continue his education. I would love to go to USC and study film. I don't want to become a veterinarian or anything. I want to study things that further my career and broaden my horizons.
1: That's quite a redeemable quality at the very least. Yeah, some sensible audience, a sensible outlook.
0: Mark Wahlberg and some of his friends were scheduled to fly from Boston to Los Angeles on flight 11 on 9-11, but they decided to attend a film festival in Canada before heading back to LA and chartered a flight north instead. The plane hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center as part of the terrorist attacks. Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane was supposed to be on the same flight. So that's two huge American celebrities that were supposed to be on that flight. You no, know, that was kind of interesting in a trivia sense.
1: Fucking locked out there. Jesus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Coming, coming that close must really give you... That's Yeah, that needs some therapy afterwards, right?
1: Oh Yeah, yeah, I would think so, for sure.
0: The hit HBO series Entourage is loosely based around Wahlberg's early years in Hollywood. Wahlberg has guest appeared on the show many times and is one of its executive producers. He also appears from time to time on the reality show Wahlburgers, based around the burger chain of which he is a co-owner.
1: I knew about the chain. I didn't know they did a show of it.
0: Yeah, actually, I've only seen bits and pieces of Entourage. But uh, yeah, I didn't know it was loosely No, I mean I meant, meant
1: the... Wahlburgers. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was, you, said I was... they, you said they did a show of Wahlburgers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they have indeed. All oh, right, right. No. That's well, well, weird. Yes, yeah, It's, it's <laughs> utterly bizarre that one, isn't it? <laughs> the fact that
0: Entourage is loosely based around his life is kind of weird. It's yeah, weird. I didn't yeah. even know that one. <laughs> and my final Marky Mark fact here. Wahlberg is a distant relative of author Nathaniel Hawthorne on his mother's side. He is also a distant relative of Madonna and Celine Dion.
1: Oh, wow. Well. Is, is that why, because in, um, in The Departed, Leo DiCaprio goes, um, well, you know, families are always rising and falling in America. And Martin Chin goes, who said that? And he goes, Hawthorne. And um, Wahlberg says to him, like, what's the matter, fuckstick? You don't know Shakespeare?
0: Ah, I don't yeah, know yeah, that's good. like oh, that's a, a good reference to catch. Yeah,
1: I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, I, so. I, I don't know if that's a nod to that or. Yeah, interesting. I hadn't thought of that. No, but yeah, I mean, no, he's yeah, he's done. I'm I'm not going to say he's done bad shit, but he's done bad shit, and that's not good. Everybody <laughs> has a chance to redeem <laughs> themselves. You know. I know, I know, no, I know, I know. You don't like the fella, but I, I just I've seen some things. I've seen a lot of things with him. I think he's quite cool.
0: I'm giving him more and more of a chance these days. Put it that way.
1: Put it that give him Marky Mark chance. I
0: can get over my biases. It just takes me a while.
1: <laughs> that's fair enough that's fair enough
0: yeah. okie dokie that brings us to the end of our free podcast this week thank you so much for listening we're going to go and record the premium content now uh, we're going to start out with a little bit of a retrospective on uh, Ned Beattie who died this week
1: yeah just uh, like a you know a little bit of um, reverence paid to a couple of his very iconic roles and why why they are important cinematically and why they you know Ned Beattie just illuminated them Mm. Um, in a way that nobody Fantastic else. Fantastic actor,
0: have. yeah. So we're going to pick out a, a few favourites, and we're also going to have a chat about uh, underrated villains. Yeah, this I've, is a nice I've, meaty I've, topic.
1: I've, I've got shit loads of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we're going to go
0: through some villainous performances that are favourites of ours, and uh, not necessarily rank them, but go through and find some uh, some hidden gems. Hopefully, one of mine's an inanimate object.
1: Okay, well, I'm very excited for that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Tune into
0: the premium podcast to find out which one. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us, guys. Uh, of course, you can find our premium content on Patreon. If you check out cinementalist.com, there's a link to the page or you can just Google Cinementalist. You can follow us at Cinementalcast on Twitter and you can follow Liam
1: at... Liam at the movies at Wacko Jacko's Flicks.
0: Excellent. Yeah, uh, we hope to see you on the premium content, if not free one next week. Anything to add, mate?
1: Thank you very much, people. Uh, hope you're all doing good. And yeah, well... Watch that good TV stuff and stay away from that shitty movie stuff. Never thought I'd be saying that on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> we're going to lose so many film that, fans. That is the, the, the that is this week's lamentable facts. Oh well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, dokie, guys. Uh, yeah, take it easy, and uh, hope to see you next. If not next week.